My name's Matthew Ayers. I've been on staff here for about seven years. And I not only get the privilege of being with New Life and their staff, but we launched a nonprofit four years ago called Dream Centers of Colorado Springs. So it's been a blast, I tell you. It has been absolutely an incredible journey. We've been doing that for four years. And so New Life keeps me on staff. I'm loaned out to that. It's a separate nonprofit. We're a community nonprofit. But we love what we get to do. And hopefully some stories uh, that we get to share today, you'll be able to relate to some of them, maybe encourage you a little bit. Um, and then we'll have some time at the, the end for Q&A. But let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. More than anything else, God, we are so grateful for your mercies that are new every day and the love that you have poured out on us. God, we receive it. And we pray, Lord, that the meditation of our hearts in this hour and the words from our mouths would be glorifying to you. God, would you teach us through your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, amen. So I love that you're here. I hear there's people from over 30 states here. That's incredible. That's just absolutely incredible to me. I love it. And, and to get to know you, I think that's my favorite part of these conferences every year is that we get to know and learn from you. So we'll have some good dialogue today and feedback. Um, I want that. I expect it. I need it. So feel free. This is kind of a, this, we just are expecting this is like a family gathering. So if you want to interrupt me and ask questions or make a comment in the middle of this, feel free. We'll, we'll kind of run it that way today. So I thought a, a really great way to introduce prophetic imagination to a group like this would be to actually practice it and live it out. So I've been practicing it this past week. Uh, I'll give you a little vision. We'll walk through some lessons, learn that God's been speaking to me and he's taught us and our team over the last four years through Dream Centers. And, uh, and then we'll get to practice it in small groups. So is that cool? I hope that sounds good. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little vision right now um, that was born in some prayer and prophetic imagination last week. Our staff prayed at our all-staff meeting for a lot of good wisdom, prophetic words, and insight. So this isn't just wisdom detached from you. Uh, I believe this is what God is speaking to you, specifically a word. And I feel like uh, this is absolutely nothing new. So every single point I share today has been shared already. So I'm sorry, but this is going to be a lot of repeat from a lot of the sessions you've heard already in the conference, which encourages me because I feel like we're all on the same page in what God is trying to speak to us and build, build unity into the church and all of us together. So here's the vision I'll read. A man in washed out green waders was standing a foot deep in Colorado's Blue River while his wife stands nearby. He was fly fishing over the weekend amidst abundant golden quaking aspens, like is happening right now, with brilliant red kokanee salmon running around their legs. The man was streaming, allowing the line and fly to float gracefully on top of the ebbing water and delicately mending the line to keep the fly downstream. He was fully expecting to catch a kokanee salmon. At the moment his tippet and fly were a few yards downstream, he landed a fish and let it run away from him at least 75 yards. 
The moment the fish turned, his reflexes kicked into gear, and he began reeling in this great fish as fast as his hands would turn, barely keeping up as the fish made its way upstream. The funny thing is, it swam straight to the man, as if it wanted to be caught. He called out for help to his wife because when he saw the fish, he knew the net was not barely, was barely was not nearly enough to contain the brute. But even more surprising, the fish was a human-sized, six-foot-long northern pike. The couple then picked up the fish together, marveling at the wonder of the experience and reveling in the joy of it all. All right, so this was just a quick vision. Literally, it happened in about two seconds. Saw this, maybe three or four, uh, last week after our staff prayed for prophetic words and insight that we could share together uh, as people were coming from all over the world for this. So we're going to practice a little prophetic imagination. I spent time in the past week in prayer on this, and then uh, here's what the Lord's been sharing. So number one, you have to get in the river and fish. In this vision, the man was not standing somewhere else. He wasn't preparing bait and tackle. He wasn't doing some other things. He wasn't, the, the vision was all centered around the man in the river fishing, right? And so obviously we know this metaphor. It's a biblical one. It's absolutely powerful uh, that we are called to be fishers of people. Uh, so we have to get, though, in the river and fish. So the location is key. Um, you know, just this, this last month, a friend was on my heart and mind, and uh, he hadn't been for quite a while. And I just, I prayed for him, I stopped, and I thought about him again the next week. I prayed for him, I stopped, and I thought about him the next week. But uh, I never really got in the river, right? I mean, prayer is powerful and effective, and we know it's good. But I didn't jump in the river at that point. And then I got a call from him. And there is a, this is right now, this past month, very present, real situation. And my heart is broken. And I had to repent uh, just big time that I didn't step out and respond to that, the Holy Spirit, the invitation to jump in the river and get busy because he's going through some really difficult stuff now. And, and, and I think I could have been there for him when it was the toughest. And now we're dealing with some of the aftermath. So get in the river. Come on, let's just get in the river together, right? We know it, we know it, we know it. But uh, oftentimes we busy ourselves with other things. And I think this is a powerful word for us, that we got to get in the river. We're not going to catch any fish unless we get in the river. All right, this guy in the vision, uh, I'll, I'll go over some of these words again as we go through all these points because I know there's a lot of detail in this. But he had faded, he had faded waders. They were faded. So... I mean, to me, that spoke, this guy, he's got experience. He's been doing this for years, right? He's, he's worn them out by being in the river. Um, so Paul, you know, this is one tendency we might have, too, as leaders in the church, is it's easy. We get in these roles, and suddenly the thing that we got found so much passion and joy in doing, uh, and that we're really called to multiply and share with others, becomes the thing we never do because we're just teaching about it. Right? But his, his waders were faded. He was still in the game. He was out in the river every day. So, so this, is, this is really important to us. It, it reminds me of, uh, you know, Jesus didn't say, uh, I give you authority to go give others authority to have power over all the enemy. He said, I give you authority over 
all of the enemy. Uh, Paul didn't say, follow me as I follow others who follow Christ. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and I, think, I think it's all to the same point here that um, this is a challenge for me. This is a challenge for us. We are all in the game. We are all in the river. But sometimes there's just enough separation and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, where we look back and we're like, wow, I was in the game, but am I really in the game still? I don't know. Am I still in the river? So I feel like the Lord is just reminding us of the joy of that and encouraging us, stay in the river, stay in the game. Um, here's a word for new life that's, that's been good and encouraging. Uh, Glenn Packiam's working on his doctorate in England right now. So he takes trips back and forth, and I don't know, uh, some of you probably heard that in, in one or two of the sessions so far, but uh, it's been really encouraging the things he's learning from the church overseas. And so, you know, we're stronger in some areas, we're weaker in others. And, and within the churches and the groups of ministry that he's spending time with, he's coming back and it's like all of a sudden the contrast is really stark. We don't do evangelism well. We just don't do, do evangelism enough or well or well enough. And some others do. So we're learning that from right. We're, we're rediscovering that right now, the gift and the joy of evangelism. Um, and so there's never a perfect time, right? It's just, but it's always time to jump in the river and fish. Um, when, when we were about to launch uh, Dream Centers a little over four years ago, uh, New Life Church had $26 million in debt. So it wasn't the right time. We can always say, oh, it's not the right time. This is a terrible time to start Dream Center. It's horrible. We've got everything going against us. We don't even have trust yet with a, a lot of new staff. A lot of new staff we've got to build trust with. This congregation, there's this, it's just, there's a lot of difficult things we're going through. No, no, no. It's time. Just get in the river. All right, two, you have to move. We have to move from slaves to sons and daughters. Uh, and I'll just read this part of the vision. He was fly fishing over the weekend amidst abundant golden quaking aspens. So how you're thinking, man, you are a pastor in Colorado. I know what's wrong here. How did you get that from that? Are you smoking marijuana too? <laughs> how did you imagine that? No, really, I know this, this is one, I, one of the points I feel like in the vision might feel most disconnected. But um, I really feel like this is a prophetic word for many people in this room today. This is probably out of all the points on this thing. This was, God was putting it on my heart. And I know we've heard this message for years now. This is something that, revelation that God is continuing to pour out on his family. But let me just dig into this a little bit. Because I think God has really just put it on, on my heart. Um, that we have to move from, from slaves to sons and daughters. So this environment and this vision, it was powerful. It was like... This man and his wife were in harmony with everything around them. It was peaceful. They were totally joyful. They were loving doing what they were doing. And they were in harmony with the situation around them. And so I think this is, this is a metaphor that, that sonship is really a way of life in being in harmony with ourselves, with others around us, with our circumstances, with the situation around us. It's really learning to be in harmony with God. Um, and so 
What's interesting, though, is that sometimes when we're on mission, we kind of enter a little different space where suddenly it doesn't feel harmonious. It feels like we are striving to get this work done, right? And then all of a sudden, mission doesn't become a way of life, but mission becomes we got to go do this to transform somebody. And when mission is something that we go do and not a way of life, then that means we're the transformers and suddenly somebody else is the transformed. But where does that leave us? God's the one who's doing the transforming. So we need to be part of that transformation. We need to receive it as well as anyone else does. So, so, so I think God is encouraging us to receive this place, this specific circumstance, wherever we are and whatever context we come from, to be in harmony. Right? We've got to learn to be in harmony with it and what God is doing with us. Um, I think when we are on mission as, a, as if it's something to go do. Also, it's a heavy weight. It's a heavy weight to carry. It's a burden suddenly that weighs us down instead of a joy and peaceful harmony around us. And so what I mean is if, we, if there's this task to be done and we feel like we have to go do it and we're the transformers, then we're suddenly deciding, we're trying to prioritize all the time. Do I do this? Oh, I've got to sacrifice this to go do this. And suddenly we can't live missionally. Um, we're living to try to do more and fit more in. And all these alternatives we have compete with each other. Um, that's the mindset of a slave, right? We can still be children of God and be slaves just trying to get our mission done and always be on mission. But a uh, so I think God's inviting us into a joyful rhythm of being in harmony with the things around us. So that's what that part spoke to me, and I hope that encourages you today. If you're feeling overwhelmed or burdened, and you're feeling like there's too many competing tasks, and you're feeling like, how do we reconcile all these competing alternatives, that God is actually inviting us right now to say no to that, part of the vision and rediscover in our own way maybe he'll speak to us today about this what is a vision you can give me so that I'm in harmony with my surroundings okay three reproducing is more important than producing reproducing is way more important than producing so I'll read from the vision with brilliant red kokanee salmon running around their legs now, I know some of you I see are fishermen in this room, so you would know this. But for others who aren't, let me just explain. Um, not all kokanee are sterile, but a lot of these in Colorado, they're hatched. They're, these fish, their, their sole purpose is for sport. And they're hatched at a hatchery, and they're let in the rivers, and they go into the reservoirs and different places in Colorado. But they're sterile. They can't reproduce. A lot of these kokanee... They, these beautiful salmon that begin to turn this brilliant red as they go to spawn, instinctually, inside however that works, the instincts of an animal, they swim up these rivers, and it's like September and October and sometimes a little into November. It's this time of year. Right now they're doing this. They swim up these rivers towards where they're hatched so they can spawn. At least they think they're spawning is just laying eggs. That's what these fish are doing by instinct, but they can't. They can't do it. They can't reproduce. They can't lay eggs. That's not what they're bred for. 
they're not wild salmon in that sense. Are you hearing me from this vision? This is a powerful image from the Lord that reproducing is more important than producing. And these fish can't produce or can't reproduce. But they've got all the same activity. They've got all the same hard work of getting up that river of uh, a, sa- a similar salmon that can reproduce, right? But it's impossible for them. And a lot of time, all of our activity looks the same. It looks very similar to other things that are going to be reproduced. But it's really not spirit-empowered in the same way. Uh, it, it, it's a powerful picture of Matthew 25. So what is, what is Jesus talking about in this parable? Uh, when we get to the great judgment, he's talking about the sheep and the goats. And what, what does he use to divide up the sheep and the goats? Activity of our lives. And yet one group of people are saying they did the same exact things, the same exact activity, and God said, away from me, I, didn't, I don't even know you. And other people, they do the same exact thing, same activity, but did it with a different attitude, a different love something that was a genuine relationship with the Father, they're the ones who didn't even realize they were on mission. They were just doing it. See, that was a way of life. Again, that's the difference between being a slave and a son, is somehow, instead of these things we're doing in ministry becoming activities that we have to get done, it becomes a way of life so that we don't even, pay, we don't even give it a second thought that it's what we do. It becomes who we are. We're missional people instead of just trying to get mission done. And we need people who can reproduce. All right, for one who keeps the line in the water catches many fish. This is what my wise friend Bobby shared with me, who's an avid fisherman and an incredible fly fisherman specifically. Is uh, How many of you, just raise your hand, have fly fished before? All right. So maybe only about a dozen. How many people have at least seen somebody or gone with somebody fly fishing? Okay, good. A lot more. How many have seen a river runs through it? Yeah, (laughs) a lot more. Okay, good. So you at least have the idea. And you see that's a perfect picture in the movie when, when, you know, Brad Pitt and his family, they're, they're dry fly casting. And the fly is out of the water 90% of the time. They're drying it. Their cast looks really cool. They just, I mean, everyone thinks, oh, yeah, that's cool. I want to do that when I go fly fishing. But those are the people that never catch fish. Or if they do, it's a lot fewer than anyone else. The people that catch fish are the people that have their fly and their line in the water almost all the time. So that's what happened in this vision is the one who kept his line in the water, he's the one who caught fish. And that's Something that, um, you know, God gives us these tools, whether it's like this, this metaphor for that. This guy's got his, his pole, his rod, his reel, his line, all this, all the stuff he needs to fish. And he can use it in a certain way. He can keep that thing out all day long, and it looks really good. Or he can keep that line in the water and fish. So we can use our gifts, our talents, whatever we're doing for a lot of other activity. But if we don't, keep it in the water to do the most important things, we're never going to catch anything. We just won't be able to. You know what? We might even be connected to God in that. We might be. 
I think God is so gracious and patient over time. She, she asked a great question. She said, you mean we're not if we don't stay connected to God? But his gifts are irrevocable. We know that sometimes, you know, he, he, he rains blessing on the righteous and the unrighteous. We might be totally unconnected to God. But we might be totally connected to God. And he's still going to pour these things out and still empower us with gifts. And so I think it's more, this is a word specifically about well, how are we using the things he's given us? Are we really keeping, using these resources, using these gifts that he's given us, are we keeping the line in the water to let the main thing be the main thing? Are we being fishers of men? Are we creating disciples? Right? We can use our gifts for a lot of stuff. But if we're not using them for the main thing, we're losing out. Um, perfectionism might keep us from that, right? We want to get that cast perfect. We want it to look really good. Performance, orientation. There's a lot of different things. There's a lot of idols and obstacles that can keep us from doing that. But uh, whatever they are, let's think about those. Let's imagine about that together. What, what would be keeping us from, from keeping the main thing the main thing? Jesus makes it clear, like we said in, in Matthew 25, what the main thing is. In fact, that's where his judgment is. And we don't judge each other on this, but God clearly does. And he's saying the main thing is when you're serving the poor. The main thing is when you're bringing the gospel to the most hurting, the points of pain in your city, the most vulnerable, those people who need you. He said he, was, he came to save the sick, not the healthy, right? Those who need a doctor, so that's our role together. We get to jump into this mission, participate in God's mission in this. And, and I think uh, with Dream Centers, it's almost unfair. I, I got to pinch myself every day because I've actually been given a specific role. Our team has been given a specific role every day to serve the poor. It's like not fair. You're like, How? I got this to do and this to do and this small group to raise up and this to do and this to do. And I got to go to training and I got to do... Yes. So that is hard. You guys are carrying, you know, you carry some, some big weights in ministry. So I'm not saying do anything extra. I think this is part of the vision is just saying, how do we incorporate the main thing into the rhythm of our life, what we're already doing? All right, five, we need a lot of distance to receive a lot of grace. Quote, he lands a fish and it lets it run away from him at least 75 yards. He lets it run away from him at least 75 yards. So if you've never fished, you know this. You get something on a fly. It is delicate, especially if it's a bigger fish. Fly fishing is very delicate and you have to let the fish run. So even though the things we have sometimes, you know, they might barely taste and see the Lord is good, but not really taste and see the Lord is good. And so they're interested or you get a bite. Or I mean, it's so delicate, right? And you have to let people run. Sometimes it's a long process of many years, the people who we're working with, the brokenhearted, the vulnerable, the poor. And they might see your activity, whatever you're doing, and get that close and give you a bite and they might spit it right back out. And that probably is more common than anything else. That's our work. That's our life. That's what God's called us to. And we keep presenting it, and we keep presenting it, and we keep presenting the gospel of good news, the gospel of the kingdom. But every once in a while, we get a bite, and it lands. And even then, we got to let it run. And it breaks your heart. She's like, I thought this just landed. 
I thought we had it. We were so there together. I just, I felt this fellowship of the Lord, this communion, this Holy Spirit experience where this person was drawn in, or when this ministry launched, or whatever it might be to reach the brokenhearted. And then it unravels. And just like this fish ran, it didn't run, it ran hard and long, 75 yards. So we got to have grace for that. In our ministry, if we try to control that and grasp that and hold on to that moment when we feel like there's a little interest, it breaks the relationship. The line will break and that fish is gone. But that's why we provide a lot of grace, right? We need a lot of distance sometimes to receive a lot of grace. All right, so that's one. one there's one even much better picture of that in the scripture, I think. Um, so I think this is a really important one. It, so I think we're all probably familiar with this, but Ezekiel's vision in chapter 47, it's one of my favorite pictures in all of scripture, if not the, my favorite of all. It's just incredible. So quick recap, uh, the son of man, Ezekiel, he is, he's taken and, and placed next to the temple. And he sees this river coming out from the south and it's moving out away from the temple. And so what is it? It's a thousand cubits away. It's ankle deep. So you're talking about anywhere near the temple, anywhere near the temple, it's not deep at all. It's like a trickle. And then he gets 2,000 cubits away and it's knee deep. And 3,000 cubits away and it's waist deep. And 4,000 cubits away and it's like too big to swim in. It's overwhelming the river of God with life coming up all around it and trees lining the banks. And it's just this beautiful picture of life that comes from, what, the temple, which we know in our prophetic Old Testament scripture, this is the presence of God. And so it was recognized that the presence was housed there, but the further you get away from it, the more, the more river there is. Right? Wait, God's, God lives over there in the temple. That's where all the religious stuff happens. But way over there is a ton of grace, life-giving grace, to grow these trees that have leaves for healing, to create environments where people are healed, to create environments where people are encouraged and raised up. I can tell you, the, the, best, the best ministry I've ever been involved in, besides what we're doing Dream Centers right now, I, I mean, they're on par, they're awesome, is Royal Family Kids Camp. And every single year, we get to take these kids in foster, in foster care, local kids who have dark experiences in their past. These are vulnerable children who have been sexually abused, violently abused, totally abandoned, dark stuff. And you know that our DHS, they're, they're my heroes. Our local departments of human services, they're amazing people, but they are overwhelmed. They can't even take a fraction of the, the child abuse calls they get. They might get less, I know this, less than 1% of the kids where they get calls for, where they have a pretty good idea that these kids are being abused. Less than 1% of those kids go into foster care. So you're talking the absolute worst violent abuse cases because they, can, they have all this evidence. That's why they can work through the court system and get them into foster care. So you talk about vulnerable people. When we take these kids to camp every year, it's absolutely life-giving. You're thinking, I'm going into a dark situation. This is far away. A lot of these people have not even heard of God or the gospel. And people are given prophetic words. They're building up identity. They're pouring out grace. It's like grace is oozing out of every mouth in camp. Like, I didn't know you were a prophet. I didn't know you were a pastor. I don't, 
I mean, I just thought you were a camp counselor. It's, it's awesome. There's ministry everywhere. But we got to go there. we got to go to these dark places. we got to create spaces for the most broken people to exist in for healing to happen. That's what's happening far down the river. It's not happening in these doors. I mean, it is. By God's grace, God sends us people every single week here to minister to. But if we don't have our boots on the ground in our cities far away from these buildings, no, I mean, next to zero healing is going to happen compared to what's going to happen out there. Next to nothing. So let's create, let's together, let's create these environments. It is so life-giving, the transformation that takes place. Actually, the further away you get from the recognized religious or spiritual institutions in your city. It's incredible. All right. So here's an encouraging part of that. If, I, if that seems overwhelming at all, here's the encouraging thing. In that vision, the fish turned, right? It ran back. The fish turned. It ran far away. There was a lot of grace. It received it there, and it turned. So let me just tell you, and Brenda, Brenda, wave your hand real quick. She's the director of Mary's Home, our latest dream center. She's doing a fantastic job. We really are blessed by her fellowship and friendship and her leadership. And that's some tough work she's doing. But uh, if we need to cut this out of the audio recording, we can later. You just tell me. I'm going to tell a little story about... um, just recently that happened. We try to save it and give our, uh, we really want to, let me just tell you up front, we want to honor our families. This, they aren't on display. They aren't like somebody to go look at and see as like, hey, st- these are families that we're learning from. They're our family. They're living at Mary's home. And we want to, they're sacred to us. We want to guard and protect them. But I'll tell you this story because I think it's perfect. So, so, so one of the moms living at home, she ran away. She was gone from Mary's home. You talk about seeing, you know, the grace hurting too much. When you're that close to maybe the gospel in a certain way, she ran. She was up and she ran. Right? And we had no idea what was going on. We know she'd been texting with a boy, previous boyfriend, but we have no idea. Breaks our hearts. We don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. All your stuff's still in your apartment. You're gone. What happened? I don't know. It hurts. Right? But you gotta let him go. You gotta let him go. And you gotta pray for him and you gotta trust that there's a lot of grace out there the further away you get from this place. All right. Six, people need to belong. The fish, it swims straight to the man as if it wanted to be caught. What a sweet part of the vision, right? So whatever happened, we don't have, these, these things are absolutely mysterious, but the people we're reaching out to at some point, they turn. Uh, and sometimes it takes a lifetime. And usually it's because people want to belong. So why are people hanging out there? Why did that, you know, other fish that go and turn and they don't come back? Why? Because there's somebody to belong to out there. Even if it's other people that are the most broken, abusers, dark, ugly place, maybe that's where they learned to belong. Or that's what they feel like they aren't lovely enough. Or good enough or smart enough or put together enough or whatever they feel like I can't hang out with these people they're too put together but I still need to belong so I'm going to go belong to them because I'm really broken and they're really broken but that's a God-given thing in their heart they need to belong 
We all do. So these are the people we get to work with. Isn't that awesome? They probably have better instinct to belong than we do most of the time. They know how to belong. It's just the, might be a little bit broken about how they, how they got there and the people they're hanging out with. And most of the time, it's not, some of their own choices are involved for sure, but most of the time, there's been a lot of bad choices from others around them that put them in this position. So people need to belong. This is what uh, we are discovering every day with uh, Adopt-A-Block in Park Hill. Right? So Adopt-A-Block in Park Hill. Park Hill is where Mary's home is located. It's where we're going. It's one of the highest crime neighborhoods in the city. So there's a lot of grace there. One quick story. I mean, just a group of students, first time out, they go knocking door-to-door, Adopt-A-Block. It's simple stuff. It's like a door opener, give a quick gift, say hi, introduce themselves, getting to know this family inside the house. This lady's in tears in 10 minutes, telling about how she just came back from a visit to the doctor earlier in the week. She's pregnant with twins, and one of the children has a heartbeat. One of the babies in utero, one doesn't. She's devastated, devastated. She doesn't know what to do. This DLA student says, hey, I want to pray for you. God does miracles. Who knows? Can we pray for you? They lay hands on her shoulder, pray for her. The next month when the team comes back, she had just got to her second doctor visit, and both babies have a heartbeat. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So stuff like this is happening all the time. And what's incredible is it's far away from here. It's where you think that stuff doesn't happen in all this brokenness in the city. But that's where almost all of it happens. It's awesome. All right. Oh, and by the way, let me finish the story. We'll just say Rachel is her name for now, but one of the residents at Mary's home. So this fits perfectly. I think this is God reminding me and encouraging me in this vision about after that fish ran 75 yards away from the vision and turned and ran straight back to the source as if it wanted to be caught. She's back. She's back. She came back on her own, and she is probably more engaged than ever. It's awesome. So it's awesome when you get the chance to see See family return as well. All right, seven. People need a God-sized vision. People need a God-sized vision. So he was called. He called out for help to his wife because when he saw the fish, he knew the net was not nearly big enough to contain the brute. So that's a miracle. If, If you've ever heard of pike in Colorado rivers and reservoirs, it's true. They're here. But they ain't six feet. So in this vision, that was impossible. I think in a record, I bet, I don't even know what it is. I tried to look it up. It's probably somewhere between three and four feet long out of rivers and maybe around four feet, maybe a few inches bigger out of a reservoir in Colorado. But that's it. That's as big as you're going to see a pike around here. This sucker was six feet long, right? It's big. We need a God-sized miracle. We need something impossible. We need something to aim for that only God can do that doesn't happen on our own strength. And that's it. We need it. So we need to have vision like that. We need to embrace it. It helps us to live in the faith. So why don't we just kickstart that process and put ourselves into a position where it requires a God-sized vision and it requires God to do this thing to get it done. And we've got them. So where are the biggest points of pain in your city? 
We know here, Colorado Department of Education, a couple years ago, did a study. They went all over schools in El Paso County, grade schools, middle schools, high schools, and just on one day, taking a survey everywhere across all these schools, talking to teachers, high school faculty, staff, 20, over 2,800 kids who were homeless, over 2,800. Colorado Springs isn't that big. It's half a million people. And just one count like that, they found over 2,800 kids homeless. That means they're probably, and that we're not catch, capturing everyone there, so there's probably 4,000 single moms with their kids who are homeless right now. And a lot of them, somehow, miraculously, their kids are getting to school every day. Somehow. That's a God-sized problem, right, to jump into. What is it in your city? You know they're there. Let's just, just find out. You probably already know. But jump into it. You know, this is, this is what it felt like for us. Uh, a dear friend and one, and one of the elders at our church, Larry Yonker, he's the CEO and president of, of Springs Rescue Mission downtown. They're doing amazing work. And um, he said, man, Matthew, you guys, are you sure you want to get into do this Mary's Home thing? He said, we tried that, and that is about 100 times harder than our men's new life program. So they do a drug and alcohol in-residence recovery program for guys. He's like, I just want you to know, <laughs> that's about what you're doing with families that have been homeless. That's about 100 times harder than what we're doing with men's drug and alcohol recovery. So are you sure you want to do this? No. <laughs> No, I have no idea what we're doing. I'm clueless, but God does, and he's inviting us into it. So, all right, eight, expect to be surprised. So he's fully expecting to catch this kokanee salmon. There's salmon running all around him, and they're brilliant, and he catches a pike. What in the world? This is, this is a crazy vision. This is just crazy, this story. So targeted relevance is a lot less important than we think. Right? If we craft our ministry so perfectly that we're trying to reach and be relevant to this one group of people, and God keeps sending you others, pay attention. He's got he's to knock me upside the head all the time for that. I, I just love it, though. He surprises us with the people he sends us. He surprises us. He's going surpri- to continue. In the work we do where we're reaching the vulnerable, he's going to surprise us all the time. You ask Brenda. She's like, Matthew, I thought we were opening up Mary's home for this, and I know we're doing awesome with these families, but let me tell you what the whole neighborhood's doing lately. I had this guy show up yesterday. This guy showed up two weeks ago. This lady come here a few minutes ago, and the ministry opportunities, when you go into a broken part of the city, I mean, they abound. So be surprised. Be willing to be surprised at who God sends you. He'll send you people. All right, so this is a miracle too. And I want you to encourage you. You say, well, we got to be more contextual. We got to be more relevant. We got to be prepared. We got to focus our resources. We got to use them wisely. People are giving their offering. We got to have a return on investment. I I know there's all that people are thinking about. But in this vision also, he was using regular monofilament line, the thing he needed to catch a salmon on. And you don't catch catch, uh, pike on that. You use metal line. You use these leaders that are steel. Their teeth are too sharp. They break it off. And here's the miracle in the vision is that he still caught the fish, right? If you feel so strapped and so impossible and weighted down all the time because you just don't have the resources, maybe, I'm just saying maybe, maybe not, but maybe God is inviting you to step out a little bit, just take a little more risk, right? And sometimes by God's grace, 
he provides what you need right in the middle of it. I think he did that with Mary's home. We didn't want to open up this early. The board really had a vision from the Lord to get this thing open. We prayed about it. We trust them fully. We said, all right, God, we're not, we're totally unprepared for this. And it's worked out beautifully. We love it. All right. Do ministry with your friends and let them become family. All right. Do ministry with friends and somehow move them to become family. So the couple in the vision then picked up the fish together, right? This was too big. He calls his wife over. They pick it up together. This, there's no greater metaphor in the scripture between the love of God and the love of his people than Christ and his bride, right? It's a wedding. So I think, I think there's something special about this picture and the vision that, that somehow in doing ministry, we've got to do it together. We can't be Lone Rangers. Um, and I just want to use this as a moment to give, just honor my leadership. B- Pastor Brady, on down, everyone, um, they try to create this family culture here. And a lot of organizations that you work with don't, don't emphasize this, right? It's just set up more like a structure of a very vertical chain of command. And I'm the boss. You're the employee. Here's the things you do. Stay on task, right? Instead of it being like a family. But somehow, I know there's tasks to do. I know there's a mission to get done. But we got to be family. we got to create that space to be literally like family. If our scriptures are calling us to it, and I know it's a high calling, and I know it's daunting, and I know it's scary, but we got to create family. All right, the final word, take hold of joy in the Holy Spirit. So the last part of the vision was marveling at the wonder of the experience and reveling in the joy of it all. So I think the challenge, the challenge for us is are we experiencing joy? And let me just tell you that how many of you came here because you don't have an outreach ministry or something to the really down and out, wherever there's a point of pain in your city, but you came because you're interested and you want to do that? How many want to do that? Okay, so a few, just a handful. How many are already engaged with the broken heart of the poor in their city? A few more. Okay, so some of us aren't sure whether we're doing that or not. But let me just, let me just encourage you. Again, for the, the picture of the river, there's a lot more grace when you do this. And there's a lot more joy. And there's a lot more uh, opportunity to connect with the Holy Spirit. It is awesome. It's fun, the work we get to do. Some people say, oh, that's hard work, man. I, I'm praying for you, Matthew. This has got to be so hard. I'm like, well, actually, you should come along with me and do this because this is really fun. It is really joyful. It's really hard, too, but when you're poured out and not burned out, it's fun, and it should be. I'll, one quick story. One of the moms, um, her at Mary's home, after a week of being there and sobbing and crying herself to sleep every night and crying uncontrollably during the day, she, she went and talked to Brenda. What the heck is wrong with me? Why am I crying all the time? And they started processing, and she figured out that her whole life, being homeless and been in abusive situations, being in, she basically had to, especially the last, four, the last three and a half years with her, her child, her toddler, she, he bawled every night going to sleep. Because he was unsafe. He was in crisis. He was in unstable situations. From day one in Mary's home, she goes and stays in her new room, and her little boy crawls into bed and goes to sleep soundly. That was the first time in his life he had done that. First time. Being four years old. First time he went to bed without crying for a few hours. 
and she didn't know what to do. Her whole life as a mom had been, been in crisis mode. She's like, what do I do? He went to bed. <laughs> what do I do now? It's like a whole new world for her. So I think these big victories, these are big wins. That might sound simple, but this is huge. I mean, just to learn to take joy in these moments it is such a privilege. And I love that we get to do this. So, all right, let's break up in our groups. So these last 10 minutes or so, we're going we're gonna to practice this. You guys know prophetic imagination. Walter Brueggemann says it way better than I ever could. So, but my words here, we're going to break it down really simple. That this is simply the process of criticizing or at least becoming aware of idols or obstacles, what's wrong in our culture around us, only because we can be aware of them so we can repent of them, so we can grieve them, so we can realize the current situation we're in. And then really the emphasis here is on vision and inspiring, encouraging, prophetic vision for the future, right? But if you give the vision and you don't know what's wrong, right, you, 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 you create this quixotic fairyland kind of vision that you'll never reach. You'll, you'll create a Disney-esque experience in people's minds and we'll never get there. But if we can at least be aware of some of the idols and the issues we're going to be up against and then give a vision for the future, it's like, it's like what Bill Hybels says. It's like classic stuff he teaches all the time. You've got to tell people how bad it is really here before you can get to there. Right? This, is all, this, this is the ministry of prophets, of old ministry of the prophetic word today. The emphasis has got to be on the encouraging, though, right? You can't get stuck in that other stuff. So you guys know what your idols are. Let's talk about it for the next 10 minutes, and then we'll wrap up and we'll pray together. But I want you to just share, what, do you, what are some of those things? And then could you imagine a vision, presenting a vision, a story that's prophetic and then encourages people and leads them into what you want to do in your current ministry? All right, let's take this time together. today. Be changed by your word, by your encouraging word, to follow you into your mission, Lord, and love people so well as you do. We thank you, God. I pray for grace and empowerment, authority and courage and strength and refreshment over everyone who came here today. God, I pray that they would leave so filled up, God, and that they would be encouraged. And Lord, we pray that you would protect them everywhere they go. And it's in your great name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.